Good morning. Can you all hear me? I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 13 through 15 today. As we go into our text today, um, I just want to consider for a moment the idea of progressive revelation. That God throughout the Bible was systematically, progressively revealing Himself to His people. And we see that throughout the Scriptures, and Chris actually alluded to that this morning. And one of the things that we see in Scripture are types, types and anti-types. And here's some examples. We see in Scripture the type of Adam and Christ. Adam was the first man. He was the vicarious uh, adult, the, the first creation, and he lived a life that was representative of the entire, uh, the entire human race. And as a result, the actions of Adam had an impact, had an effect on all people who would be born into Adam's race. And we know that Christ is the antitype of Adam. That Christ is the head, the federal head, of the redeemed race. And that everyone who is born in Christ receives the benefits of the actions of Christ as the head of the redeemed race. We see the ark in the Old Testament. That everyone who was in the ark was delivered from the judgment of God as it was poured out, poured out on the earth. So in Christ, everyone who is in Christ will be delivered from the judgment of God as it is poured out on the earth. We see in the Old Covenant the high priest and sacrificial system. A mediator. The idea that there has to be a mediator between a holy God and sinful people. We know as we go into the New Testament that Christ is the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. Christ is the fulfillment of the high priestly system. That Christ is the one mediator that exists between God and man. Chad talked last week about the Passover lamb. That Christ is the Passover lamb for the church. That He died in the place of the sons and daughters of God. We know in number 16 that Numbers 21, that the serpent was lifted up on the pole in the wilderness. And Jesus, speaking of His ministry, says that just as the serpent was lifted up on the pole in the wilderness, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up, that all who look to Him will be saved. King David in the Old Testament is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The righteous King that rules and reigns righteously. The one who has a heart after God. The tabernacle, the temple system we know are copies of heavenly realities, correct? According to Hebrews. The promised land in heaven. The list goes on and on. And the reason I bring all these, all these things up is that today we look at the redemption story of the Old Testament. There are many redemption stories in the Old Testament, but this is the redemption story of the Old Testament. And God's purpose in this historical account 
of the redemption of Israel is to point our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ without question. To demonstrate the reality that the, the Exodus is the redemption story of the Old Testament, I just wanted to call your attention to several texts throughout the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 20, when God is uh, preparing to give the law to Moses, this is what he says to Moses. I am the Lord your God. Who what? Brought you up out of the land of Egypt. In Exodus 32, he does the same thing. In in Leviticus 11.45, same thing. Deuteronomy 20 verse 1, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 1 Kings 12.28, Nehemiah 9.18, Psalms 81.10, Amos 2.10. The idea that we see in the Old Testament is that God bases the requirements that he puts against the people of Israel on his redemption. That he had redeemed them out of slavery and as a result they belonged to him. So with the Exodus, what we're going to look at this morning is the gospel of the Old Covenant. And here's what we're going to see today. And here's what I hope, with God's help, you can see in his word this morning, is that God glorifies himself by miraculously saving those who are powerless to save themselves. Let's say that again. What we need to see in the text this morning is that God glorifies himself by miraculously saving those people who are powerless to save themselves. So let's get into the text this morning. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17. Here's what the Scripture says. It says, When the Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistine, although that was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But instead, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took with him the bones of Joseph, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give the pillar uh, to give them light that they might travel by day and by night the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth, 
between Migdal and the sea and in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. And here's why. Because the Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land and the wilderness has shut them in. And then God says, I will harden the Pharaoh's heart and the Egyptian, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So the Pharaoh made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with him and officers all over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them and camped at the sea by Pihahiroth in front of Baal the phone. When the Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And the Israelites feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptian? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptian than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. So here's the first point I'd like for you to see in this text. And it's this. That God leads his people to the way of no escape. That God leads his people to the way of no escape. In this text, God is clearly revealing himself to the Israelites. He is making himself visibly known through the pillar of cloud and through the pillar of fire. And he is telling them exactly where he wants them to go. He is clearly revealing his will to his people. And what's interesting is, is that God takes them to a place to a place of no escape. That God takes them to a place in the wilderness where when the Egyptians come, they are trapped. They are hemmed in on every side. They are hemmed in by the, the Red Sea on the, the northeast and the southwest, or the, the northeast and southeast, and they are hemmed in by the Egyptians coming in from the west. There is literally no one, nowhere for them to go. The scripture says they are wandering in the land and the wilderness has shut them in. 
And here's what I want you to see, that God does this on purpose. He does this because he knows the fickleness of the Israelites. Verse, thir- uh, verse 17 of chapter 13, he says, I'm going to take them this way, lest the people of Israel chain their mind. He does this because he is going to get glory over the Pharaoh. Chapter 14, verse 4. This, this is the aim of this whole story. He is taking the Israelites to a place. He is leading them down a road. He is trapping them in a corner where he alone can receive glory for what is getting ready to take place. That's what he's doing. You know, the Pharaoh thought of himself as God. The Pharaoh thought of himself as supreme. The Pharaoh thought of himself as worthy of worship and service of the people. So not only does God lead the Israelites to this place where they are trapped on every side, he takes them there, he hardens the heart of Pharaoh, this is what the text tells us, He said, I will harden the Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. He knows that this is what he is doing. He has purposed from eternity past that this is what he's going to do and he does it. God hardens the heart, changes the minds of the Egyptians, changes the minds of the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh pursues them. And as a result, the scripture tells us that the people of Israel complain against Moses. The people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly and the people of Israel cried out to God and they complain against Moses and say, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us to die in the, in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us here? You know, as you think, you think about what it would have been like to be one of those Israelites. To be a person that has left Egypt, and for all of these people, the people of Israel been in Egypt for 400 years, you have left everything that you know. And now you have been led out of this land. You have been taken to a place where you are 100% trapped. There is nowhere for you to go. And the world's most powerful army is pursuing you. It's a pretty desperate situation. I try to imagine what I would have been thinking and what I would have been feeling had I been one of those people in that day. But here's what I'd like to say to you is that God is doing the very same thing today. You know, God has clearly revealed himself. God has made himself known. You know, all Israel had in their day was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. They didn't have the words of the Lord. They didn't have the future 
incarnate Christ whose life had been lived, whose death had been died, whose resurrection had happened, whose ascension had happened. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the, the New Testament. They didn't, have the, they didn't know the end from the beginning that we have today. God has revealed himself right here. We have every single thing we need pertaining to life and godliness contained in this book right here. We have way more information. We have way more contact. We have way more knowledge of God. We have way more knowledge of his grace, his mercy, his power than these Israelites could even fathom at this time. God has revealed himself. The scriptures say that God spoke in many, in various ways. But in these last days, Hebrews 1, he spoke to us through his son. And Jesus clearly communicated the will of God. John 1 describes Jesus, says, No one has ever seen God, nor has, will anyone ever see God face to face and live. But God, the one and only, has made him known. We have seen God in the person of Christ, in the work of Christ, and in the words of Christ. And what has God said? What has God revealed? Here's the reality. Human beings, by the Scripture, are being hemmed in on every side. The Word of God raises itself up against us. The righteous requirements of the law imprison us. Because as human beings, we are slaves of righteousness, and we are slaves of righteousness who are being shoved against the holiness of God, are we not? This is the human condition. And the more we look into God's Word, the more hemmed in we get. Jesus, speaking of the righteous requirements of the law, speaks in, in the, the Sermon on the Mount and says, you, you say you shall not commit adultery, and that's great, but I say to you, if you're someone who looks at another person with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. We learn from the law that we're lying, thieving, cheating, hating, idolatrous human beings. Paul described what the law does to him, what the Word of God does to him when he says that I was alive and then the commandment came and the commandment put me to death. He understood that the, the righteous requirements of the law brought him to a place of no escape. Brothers and sisters, the enemy that we have is far greater and far more powerful and far more terrifying than some Egyptian on some horse cars. The scriptures teach that the sinner, apart from Christ, is an enemy of God.
that we are born by nature children of wrath. The dreadful thing to consider. Hebrews describes it this way, that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, listen, don't fear those who can kill the body. Who's that? That's the Egyptian. See, don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Listen, folks, rather than fearing them, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. That's Jesus, Matthew 10, 28. And what we learn from the Scriptures as God has clearly revealed Himself is that just like the Israelites as they were trapped in the wilderness, trapped by the, uh, the oncoming Egyptian and, and quite clearly destined to destruction, we as human, being, as human beings are powerless to deliver ourselves. We are powerless to deliver ourselves. This, this is the point of God's righteous law. The aim of the law in his clearly revealed word, the aim of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the aim of all of Scripture, the message of the entire Bible clearly revealed from God himself is to bring you and I to the end of ourself where we come to the place where we recognize there is nothing that I can do to address my situation before God. Have you ever, as a parent, have you ever caught your child red-handed and disobedient. I was thinking about that this week. You catch your child red-handed and disobedient, doing stuff that they know they shouldn't do. And you walk up to that child and you say, son or daughter, What are you doing? What's the natural inclination of the child? I know what the natural inclination of my children is. Silent. You ever experienced that? The child knows they've been caught. They know there's no getting out of it. And they can't say anything. You ever been there? You know that Romans, that Paul says in Romans, that the purpose of the law is to shut our mouths. To hold us accountable to God. 
that when an honest person honestly looks at the commandments of Scripture, looks and engages upon the holiness of God, and then looks at themselves as they really are, the only response we have is to be quiet. Have you ever been there? I remember in my salvation story, I remember when God saved me, sitting up right up there, stuck in patterns of sin, stuck in ways of life that I knew were dishonoring to God, and thinking that there is no way there is no solution to this my sin is too great my guilt too insurmountable that God would just acquit me I remember one time preaching, teaching in youth group. And there was a young man in there who came to youth group for years and years and would shrug his shoulders and roll his eyes as the word was being preached. And then one day, um, preaching the gospel again and looking up, and he's just sobbing. sobbing and uh, having a conversation with him afterwards and this is what he said he said I'm 18 years old now and I've been trying to live my entire life pleasing God on my own and I was so frustrated And I was so angry. And I was just about to give up. Have you been there? You know, this is the message of the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. The message of the Bible should take the sinner and lead them to the end of themselves. Point number two. Point number two. I'm missing a page, so that's great. Uh, Point number two is that God sovereignly delivers his people. God sovereignly delivers his people. Um, (laughs) okay God sovereignly delivers his people the first thing I want you to see is that deliverance is from God alone let's read in Exodus chapter 14 starting in verse 15 the text says the Lord said to Moses why do you cry to me 
Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over the Pharaoh and all his host, his chariot, and his horsemen. And the Egyptian shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night, without one coming near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right, right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, and in the morning, watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us free, flee from Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained." But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. In this account, the deliverance of the people of Israel is a sovereign work of God. I want you to notice in this text, what did Israel do to save themselves? Nothing. God led them. God communicated to them. God commanded them. God gave power to to, the, to divide the sea. God told Moses what to do. God led them from behind. God led them from before. God clogged the wheels of the Egyptians. God did everything. Everything. And the deliverance was total. Every single Israelite crossed. I want you to think about that. Every single Israelite crossed and every last Egyptian perish. The deliverance, this, this exodus, this powerful redeeming work of God was done by God's grace alone as well. 
Listen to what God says in Deuteronomy 7. You are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. There was nothing about Israel that merited their, their deliverance from God. It was simply God's gracious choice, his love that was set upon them. He was keeping his covenant to Abraham. It was God's faithfulness, God's love, God's grace that led to the deliverance of the Israelites. I want you to think about something. Do you know that our salvation is a sovereign work of God? In Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 39, the disciples are in a storm. And the storm is so furious that the disciples experienced fishermen and sailors were convinced that they were going to die and they begged Jesus to do something about it. You know what Jesus did? Jesus stood up and commanded the wind and the waves to be still. Remember the question that the disciples asked? said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Our text this morning answers that question. Jesus is the God of the Exodus. And this God, according to the scriptures, says to his people that I will lay down my life for my sheep and I will lay down my life according to to the purposes of the will of my Father. And we read in the account in Mark chapter 10, when, or Mark chapter 16, when Jesus lays down his life, the veil, the temple, the veil of the temple is torn from top to bottom. Jesus says, it is finished. And all of the miracles that happened around the, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a centurion soldier standing there. And he's watched all this stuff that's happened. The resurrection of the dead, uh, the daylight turning to nighttime, the, the temple veil ripping from top to bottom, the earthquakes, the darkness over the land. And when Jesus commits his spirit to the Father, the centurion looks up at him and says, Surely, surely that was the Son of God. Jesus on the cross says that it was finished, that the deliverance of sinners was completed. Hebrews tells us that the sacrifice was offered once and for all and that all sacrifice for sins was done, that the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, sat down at the right hand of God. It didn't just remove the sin from the outside of us. It removed the sin from the inside of us. And, and here's the deal, guys. If God, the Son, had paid for our sins, if God before us, 
who can be against us? The deliverance that was started is the same deliverance that will be completed by the same God who started it. This is the whole point of Scripture. What we're talking about right now is the whole point of the entire Bible. To the unbeliever, I would say to you, to the person who is not a Christian, are you still trying to be good enough? Are you still trying to earn your way to a right standing before a perfect and holy God? Is that getting wearisome yet? Are you ready to give up? That's right where you need to be. Because God is in the business of saving those who have come to the end of themselves. Finally, uh, why did God do this? Why did God um, deliver the Israelites through the Exodus? Why does God, why has God delivered his church through the sacrifice of his son? Is to glorify himself. God glorifies himself. And we see this in Exodus chapter 15. After their deliverance, Moses and the people of Israel sing a song. They say, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Look at verse 11. The Israelites say, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand, and the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You see, the Israelites walked through their salvation understanding that the one who gets the glory is God. You know, there was no one looking at each other, you know, saying, wow, man, you, you did a great job walking across that dry ground. <laughs> that was some impressive stride. What was every person doing? They were exalting God. You know, no, no genuine Christian is, who has experienced the grace, the powerful spiritual regeneration of God is patting themselves on the back. We're not here to, to, to tell each other how great we're doing and, 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 you know, how wonderful we are, are we? That we? What we did this morning is what it's all about. We're exalting the one that's worthy of being exalted. The God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who died on a cross in our place where we deserve to die, who suffered the wrath of God in our stead, the one who credited his own righteousness, his own perfection to us so that we could be co-heirs with him. We exalt him, right? That's what we're here to do. Exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we're just like the Israelites. They're, God is in the midst of delivering them and they're complaining. 
He is getting ready to show them the greatest display of delivering power in the history of humanity, save the the cross of Christ. And the Israelites are griping. And here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We have seen and heard and have been testified to the perfect life of Christ, his righteousness, his death, his burial, his resurrection, the coming of the Spirit, the birth of the church, the regeneration of the heart. And we all know that the end game is to be face to face with God, that we're going to be like him one day. Jesus is going to return, take us home with him. We're going to see him. We're going to be like him and we're going to worship God forever in glory. And we're down here complaining. So why would God save? Why would God redeem selfish, self-centered, whiny, crybaby, seshes ourselves? Huh? Why would he do that? To the praise of his glorious grace. You know, this reality, this reality should lead us to worship. And that's why we're here, to worship. God glorifies himself by miraculously saving those who are powerless to save themselves. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. We are thankful for the gift of the cross. We are thankful for the scriptures where you have shown to us the truth, where you have given us the way of salvation. We pray for those who are in our midst this morning who need to repent of their sin and trust in Christ that your spirit would move in them. God, we give you all the glory for this gift of grace that we can gather together as brothers and sisters, little brothers and little sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ and exalt the one true God who is worthy of our worship in our praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good week.